Acts chapter 2. And uh, we've been in a series, actually, really, kind of from the first part of this year. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we've been I- unpacking our identity and mission as a local church. Actually, a number of weeks back, we uh, kind of unpacked a new mission statement that will be a new mission statement really for our church going forward. It, it really simplifies, I think, where, where, where our last one wasn't so clear. Uh, this really makes it quite simple. You know, Jesus in the Gospels taught a great many things, but the number one thing Jesus says, this is the great commandment, is to love God. And the second is, is like unto it, is to like, love your neighbor as yourself. And and then Jesus, before his ascension, gave this commission to his disciples that they would go into all the world and make disciples. And so I'd like them to put up our mission statement together this morning, and together we're going to lift up our voice and say this, and this will be something we will say to one another uh, frequently as we remind ourselves of why we are here. You know, our church is located on the backside of the Catawba Mountain, you know, and as you think about uh, where out of all the places this church could have been located, this building, I guess, and, and the people that now gather in this place, uh, we remind ourselves of why we're here, of, of, of why God has commissioned us to this place. And so would you lift up your voice together as we say our mission together? Here we go. We glorify God by developing disciples who love God, love people, and influence the world with the hope of the gospel. Now, I know that's a little new, so let's try it one more time this morning. I want you to think about this, not so that you can just simply recite it, but I hope that the truths of what this is communicating are a part of your why. Not just the why of our church, but the why of your life as a follower, as a disciple of Christ. Lift up our voice again. We'll say it. Here we go. We glorify God by developing disciples who love God, love people, and influence the world with the hope of the gospel. And I believe it's important that you as a member here at Catawba Valley Baptist Church are able to understand what is the mission of our church. And along with that, as we've been unpacking now uh, for a number of weeks, Pastor Stephen and I have been working through a sermon entitled The Core of Catawba. We've been kind of unpacking out of all the values that our church certainly holds and out of the many uh, intangible values in your life, what are some of the core values that simply make this place what it is? How many of you have gone to visit another gospel assembly? Can I see your hand? Anybody ever been to another gospel assembly? Maybe another church? Heard of that way? Uh, we're all in the church if you're part of the body of Christ and, and your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm reminded often, I tell people often, and somehow we struggle to get it on this side of eternity that, that in heaven one day, you're not going to have all your denominations spread out all over the kingdom of God in heaven. There's going to be one kind of person in heaven, the people that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, that's it. Let's keep it straight and simple. But you know what? There are, how many of you know that not all churches are the same? Can I see your hand? Now, all churches are a little different. You know why you say it's different? Because different churches have a different culture. And our culture is part something that we create, and it's something that we allow. And so, you know what? We want to develop, and my prayer here in the coming days is that we would work to develop a gospel-centered culture at Catawba Valley. 
You know, it's a, it's a joy to me as a pastor to have families visit our church, and in the week that I go by to see them, they make this similar statement. They say, man, I just felt God at that place. They, they say things like, man, your church is so loving. Your church is so friendly. They, they go on a list of, of, of what they felt like, what they experienced, and, and they don't say it this way, but what they're really saying is that there's a great culture here. And listen, I'm just telling you, a culture is something that we constantly have to work at. It doesn't just happen. And just because we have a good culture now doesn't mean in a year and a half from now we'll have a good culture. My God's grace, I hope it's more and more the same. But, but a culture is something that each one of us shape because we all are building something with our lives. And it's partly what we create and it's also partly what we allow. And so over these next, uh, next week, and we're really summarizing next week, our, our five values as a church. Now, these are not our only values, but these are core values. Like, I think if I were to ask you and give you a piece of paper and you were to identify on, maybe write down, what do you think makes Catawba Valley, Catawba Valley? Actually, we did that, didn't we? A number of months ago, I gave you a survey and you filled out some things about what you thought uh, when you think about our church, and it, it's, it's, it, we used a lot of that as we were praying and thinking about, well, what, what, what makes this church this church, right? What is the DNA of Catawba Valley Baptist Church? And there are many intangibles, but we want to focus on five and keep five front and center because I think in many ways you'll agree that these shape so much of the ministry here. Now, I know we've gone through a lot over the last number of weeks, so I want us to review kind of where we've been, and we'll see where we are today. The first value that we shared with you is gospel centrality. Gospel centrality. Will you lift up your voice and we'll say what this is? The good news of God's grace is our hope. It is the center of everything we believe and impacts everything we do. And I, how many of you would at least agree that that's been a value of our church, right? I hope these aren't values that we want to see, but these are values that are actually already present. And in many ways, I believe that with all my heart. That's what makes them a core value. How, I want you to turn right now to your neighbor, and I want you to think of one way that you've seen gospel centrality at work in the life of our congregation. Go ahead, find a neighbor, let them know. What's one way you've seen gospel centrality in the heart of our church? All right, now shout it out to me. What have, what have you heard? There's a unity in this place. What else? The word of God is central. What is another one? Prayer. But where have you seen the gospel centrality? Where have you seen that the good news of God's grace is our hope? Have you seen the gospel change uh, what we believe in the sense that it's the center of everything? What do you think? Is it the center of your life? That's a question. Is, is, is gospel centrality a, a value to you? It may be a value to our church, but is it a value in your life? Do you believe that the gospel is your hope? What are some other things we can ultimately put our hope in? People will let us down. What else? Money will fail us. What else? Government, yes. What else? Items. So listen, we can put our hope in many other things, but what we say here at Catawba is that the good news of God's grace is our hope. That's our hope. So we believe in a gospel. We value gospel centrality. Secondly, we value kingdom mentality. 
a kingdom mentality. I, I think this was valued right from the get-go uh, when I came here. I remember Dr. Mason, and when he looked at me across a table as we were sitting at the Home Place restaurant a number of years ago, he looked at me, he says, Pastor, he says, Aaron, you and I are going to be a great team. But you know what? He didn't just live that among our staff. We've lived that in our church. We've lived that in our leadership team at church. We've lived that here in our ministries as we serve alongside one another. We value this kingdom mentality that God has gifted every person in the body of Christ and that together we're better together than we are alone, right? So can we read this together? We'll affirm what this is, this kingdom mentality. Here it is. Say it with me. The church is furthered when everyone serves together. As members of one body, we use our diverse gifts for the sake of God's kingdom. Now, let me ask you, do you value that? Are you today using your gifts, the gifts that God has gifted you to bless and to benefit his body here? Last week, uh, we considered uh, biblical literacy. And let's lift this one up. Can we say this together? Biblical literacy. The Bible is for everyone. Through the living word, we learn of God and his story that equips us for every good work. Now listen, I tell you, this is something that is, I think, near and dear to our church. And it's not only represented on Sunday mornings, but it's in our life groups, it's in our classes. It's what fuels our ministry for Catalyst. This desire that, that, that God's people know his word. How can we live God's word if we don't understand God's word? It's partly the reason we read scripture together on Sunday mornings is so that together, collectively, we'll walk through the Bible and we'll grow in our understanding of the Bible so that that will change the way we live. I love how it was stated for us last week in one of the quotes I read that, 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 that God's people never live higher than their beliefs. And so we must understand the Bible so that we can live the Bible. And then this morning, we're going to be considering together intentional community. This is the one that everybody put on their card. As they talked about our church and what made Kataba Kataba, most people said something like this, that there's a sense of family. There's a sense of unity. There's a sense of togetherness. This is intentional community. Will you lift up your voice here? What do you believe about intentional community? Here we go. The Christian community is vital for Christian growth. As a family, we live life together to deepen our faith and experience God's grace. This morning, you've opened your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to read a few verses in Luke's uh, really second letter as he wrote the gospel of Luke, and now he writes again kind of a second uh, if you want to think sequel, in what he had originally written in the gospel, and he walks through the life of the early church. He's describing for us what the early church was like. Now, Peter preached a message on the day of Pentecost, and you'll remember that the church literally came alive. But I want you to read with me, beginning in verse uh, 41 of Acts chapter 2. Follow along with me as I read. Luke writes, so those who received his word, that's Peter's word, were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we pray this morning as we've opened your word, and Lord, now as we'll hear your word preached, that God, we would hear your voice. Not the voice of a man, but God, as we've opened your eternal word and hear your living and active word, not just read before us, but Lord, now help us understand what this early church was like. Lord, there's so much time that is, spans between us and them, and yet your purpose for the church has not changed. And so we pray this morning that we would see this type of community that just enveloped this early church. And God, that that would be true in our lives and in this place. And so we pray to that end and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Now listen, Peter preaches this message. I mean, can you imagine? He, he gets up, he preaches on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the number of the disciples was about 120. And he gives kind of that altar call invitation for people to come to Christ. And how many people get saved? 3,000. I mean, the church literally goes from 120, which is about how many is here this morning, to 3,000 overnight. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? And think about, and actually you keep reading the book of Acts, the number then went from 3,000 to 10,000, to tens of thousands to a number that it couldn't even be counted. The Bible makes the point that these early Christians turned the world upside down. You say, how is that possible? It's all, in a lot of ways, built up and worked up in this one word in verse 42. You look down your Bible there with me. It is the word fellowship. They devoted themselves, the Bible says, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You know, what, what amazes me about the early church, and it just, it really staggers me when I stop and think about it from the perspective of a pastor is that this early church that was so represented by so many different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, diverse uh, kinds of education, all different kinds of perspectives from every area of life, and yet as you work through the early church, I mean, tens of thousands of Christians, and yet what was stated was that there was this great unity. Because there was this intentional community that they had given themselves to one another. They had uh, given themselves in this new way of life. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. Can you say that with me? Koinonia. Can you say it again? Koinonia. What is that? It, it refers to our shared common life together. It's talking about the experiences, the partnerships, it's sharing. It's, it's this profound picture of community. And so when, in the Bible, there's a number of descriptions for the local church. Actually, there are four that are quite prominent. As you read the New Testament letters, you discover that, that the church is often described by one of these four metaphors. So I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning and see if you can at least identify one or maybe more than one of the four metaphors that we see in the church about the church in the Bible. See, go ahead, I, I give you 30 seconds. See, see how many you can think about or come up with. I know there's at least four, there may be more, but I want you to think, what, 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 what was the church described as? All right, go ahead, 30 seconds, go.
Go ahead, find a neighbor, find a neighbor. All right, 10 seconds. We're on Aaron's standard time this morning. All right, someone, someone shout them out. How many, can, can you identify some of the pictures in the New Testament for the church of God? The bride of Christ. How many of you said the bride of Christ? What's so significant about the bride of Christ that we see that, that, that who is the groom? Christ. And what is the point? The point about this picture about the church as the bride of Christ shows our mutual submission to one another and our mutual submission to Christ. What's another picture? The body. How many of you said the body? We'll talk about that. What's so significant about the body? There's what? There's many members, but there's different function, right? And once again, it's showing this collective shared life together that, that we're not the same. It's not uniformity. Actually, we're very different and diverse that the church of God is made up of people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different genders. And yet we come into the body of Christ and collectively there's this shared life with one another. What's another picture? Called out ones. They're assembly, right? They're this group. Uh, what's another one? A building, yeah, they're the temple of God. And what's so significant about that? That each stone is this living stone and together we work together. And then notice that there's the flock of God, right? That each of us are sheep and Christ as our shepherd leads us. The whole point in every one of those word pictures that the Bible is making for us is that there is this shared life among one another. I wonder, do you think that that is evident and present here? Is there a shared life lived among and with one another here at Catawba Valley? You see, as we glimpse into the life of this early church, we discover that intentional community, what we're talking about today is a value for our church here in the 21st century is not a new idea. In fact, this was at the very heart of the early church. So if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you just four brief things that I think eternal community, this intentional type of community in the life of the body of Christ is evidenced by. The first, notice with me in verse 42, this intentional community is evidenced by a shared obedience to the truth. A shared obedience to the truth. Notice, follow with me in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' what? To the teaching. Now, what does this mean? It, it means that, that, that they were not just simply proclaiming the Word of God. They were practicing the Word of God by their lives. They were living the Bible. You know, last week, if the goal of, in, of, of biblical literacy is to understand the Bible, then really the goal of this intentional community is for you and I to obey Scripture. To obey the Bible. The Bible says that faith without works is what? It's dead. If you claim to have a relationship with God, but it's not changed the way you live, then James makes the point that you really don't have true, authentic, saving faith. The Bible says be doers of the word and not hearers only. Jesus, even in the Great Commission, as he was commissioning his disciples, Jesus says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So, so what do we value? What do we believe when we talk about this intentional community? What we're saying 
is that together, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are working to follow Jesus in our life. We do it stumbling forward. Certainly, we do not do it perfectly. But our goal and what we're calling one another to in the church of God is to a life of obedience. A life of obedience. Not just simply knowing the Bible. You know, just simply knowing the Bible creates pride. I think an arrogance in our life if it's not lived by this active obedience where we're submitting ourselves and yielding ourselves to the truth of God's Word. So when we think about an intentional community here at Catawba, what should come to mind is that you and I value obeying Christ Jesus. Do you know why? Because he's in charge. Not me. Not a group. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we're living our lives in obedience to him. He's the master and we're to live our lives in a way that well pleases him. Notice, intentional community is evidenced by a shared obedience to the truth. But secondly, it involves a shared relationship with one another. Notice what the Bible says in verse 42. And they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but what was the second thing? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Fellowship. There's that word again. It's this shared life with one another. So let me ask you, what is in the church the common denominator that binds us together? Christ. Christ Jesus. I mean, that is the common denominator about what this fellowship is based on. This is not just like the church hang out together, you know? It's it's not like the church went to movies and went out to eat and kind of live life, whatever. No, that, that is not what this word fellowship means. It's not even talking about the potluck dinners that we hold at our church. It goes so much deeper than that. Because this word fellowship is a part of this common life that we have together in Christ Jesus. John, the apostle, tells us that truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what? I think that's what I really appreciate about our church. That what unites us is not that we get along with one another. It's not that we have the same interest or we enjoy the same things. What unites us at Catawba is this shared life that we have together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what truly binds us. That's like the glue that holds us all together. And so when you, when you think this morning about the shared relationship with one another, it's, it's not just a potluck. It's not just hanging out. It's not just going to a gathering. It's far deeper than that because it affects us on a spiritual level. Now let me ask you a question. If the goal is intentional community and we're striving for this together as a church, then how is that intentional community disrupted? Better question is, how is it broken? You know what? There's a lot of ways that it can be hindered, but let me just give you three briefly. What breaks down intentional community is an attitude of entitlement. Man, our generation today is full of entitlement, isn't it? I mean, they say it's the younger generation. I don't think that at all. I think it's all generations. What is entitlement? What's the attitude of entitlement? It's pride. It's a selfishness. It's like I am here to get something and I haven't got it yet, you know? 
And so what breaks down intentional community in the life of a church is people that come to the place and they gather with the people, but it's only to get. It's only to receive. But if you've never crossed that bridge in your own spiritual life from being benefited and blessed by the ministry here, and I hope you have, I I hope you come here and you receive something, but more than that, it's an attitude of what can I give? How can I bless somebody else? When, When new members come to our church and go through our membership class, I always encourage them about three things. I said, hey, as you're coming into the life of this church, let me encourage you on three very simple things. The first is simply to have a, have a life group to belong to. Find a place of community within our church. You're not going to develop that on a Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen. So find a group of people. Find a life group. Find a class. Find a group of people that you can belong with and share life with and walk through life in our church with. Secondly, what is your ministry here? If you want to come and be a member of our church, I ask the question, I say, what, what, is, the, what is your ministry? What, what, what is the thing that God's gifted and enabled you? What's that kingdom mentality piece that you say, this is how I'm going to bless and benefit the body here? Every one of us should be able to say, I'm a part of a group of people. I'm a part of intentional community. I, I have a ministry that, that I'm using my gifts in the body of Christ. And thirdly, I ask this question, I say, where is your mission outside of the church? All of us are involved in so many different things, but I wonder what is the one thing in your life that you're trying to leverage for the sake of the gospel? And I wonder this morning, maybe that's a really helpful analogy as you think about this intentional community here at Catamba because it goes far deeper than simply attending church together. It is so much more than simply going out to eat with somebody. It's recognizing that that we share this common life in Christ Jesus and that he has united us and he has gifted us and, 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 and invested into us these gifts to be used in his body, to be used in ministry, to be used in mission. And I wonder this morning, can you identify each of those things in your life here today? Or is there an attitude of entitlement as you think about even our church? Do you view the church as more something that you can give to, bless, and be a part of than something that you simply come to receive? Entitlement Christianity is really just a selfish consumerism. It looks around to see what the benefit would be of getting it without ever giving anything in return. I think entitlement breaks down community. So does individualism. Man, our culture reeks of this individualism, this attitude that says my way is the best way and your way should hit the highway, you know? It's this attitude that we're more consumed about creating and projecting our own self-image than we are about building a relationship with someone else. I'm not gonna hamp, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna harp on technology. However, I think the challenging trend as you look within kind of the social media sphere of technology is trending more and more to projecting an image of your virtual self, right? This this virtual image that you want people to see and experience. And so you can go decorate your kind of universe in a way that looks like you or is embodied what you think life should be like, but it bears no reality to your own real life, you know? 
And we can build these friendships that are completely in this virtual reality of what we want our life to look like and how we want our self-image to be projected. And yet the Bible breaks all of that down because it challenges us on a far deeper level of relationships and asking, man, am I building and developing and cultivating any real meaningful relationships? I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that, that, that bothers me as a pastor is sometimes I see families come into the church or people who have grown up in the church or just because they've been here at a period of time or, or attended for any weeks or months, they somehow begin to build these very superficial relationships on Sunday morning. Oh, how are you doing? I'm fine. Okay, we're all fine. Good. We got a good relationship. You know, I got, I got a relationship with everybody. But then, but then life hits and life happens. And they say, well, no one was there for me. I often wonder, were you there for anyone else? Did did you build a relationship with anybody that went far deeper than five minutes of hello and goodbye on Sunday morning? The bedrock of relationships is friendship. Friendship. Some of us aren't really good at building friendship. We'd rather project an image of friendship online than work to cultivate it in a real, lived space. That's what the heart of intentional community is all about. Notice this church, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They gave themselves to one another in these life-giving, mutual relationships. It was vested on both parts. It wasn't all about their preference. Man, we have so much in church culture today that is all built around my preference. I'm going to find the church I want to go to. And we we create this, once again, we take this image of what we're self-projecting online and we we somehow extrapolate it to the church of God. And so we, we start thinking, well, the church has to have the same music that I have on my Spotify playlist. And man, that pastor, he better be just as good as the guy I have on podcast every week, you know? And this place better be just as beautiful. We, we start comparing, don't we? Based on our preference, based on what we like, based on how we live. And the Bible just tears it all apart. It's like, wait, in Christ, there is something greater than just you. Because the Bible says that, actually the gospel says that When you came to know Christ, your life, your preference, your self-image died. (laughs) You were given Christ's life in His image, in His worth, in His value. And that's what matters. And now when you build relationships and you build friendships that are on that deep of a level, man, let me tell you, those are the friendships that weather storms. The Bible says friendship is born out of that type of adversity right? Because there's something deep there, man. It's deep emotional connection. And also, you know what'll break down this intentional community in the life of a church is an attitude of superiority. The Bible says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Man, so many of us want to flaunt our opinions of what we think really matters. And I'm not saying your opinion's not important or your opinion shouldn't be considered or your opinion, you know, is insignificant. 
What I am saying though is when your opinion, a difference of opinion will be enough to break fellowship in the body of Christ simply because someone else doesn't say or say the same things the way that you say or see them. And sadly, man, it just damages fellowships all the time. This attitude that says we have to agree on everything. No, we need to agree on biblical distinctives. We need to agree on the gospel. We need to agree on doctrine. But man, if it's just an opinion and you can't seem to get along with someone else's opinion and you're going to break fellowship with that person over a tiny opinion, then what does that say about the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does it say about this community, this shared life together? Oh, how we need deference in the church today. We need deference in the church today. This idea that says your opinion matters and I have an opinion, but you know what? We can disagree and we can still get along. Where did deference go in the 21st century? It's like out the window. And notice, what does this matter? Why does it matter? Because it matters about what we say about the gospel because our minor differences of opinion are so insignificant compared to this common shared life we have together. Have you ever thought about it like that? Like some of us are so ingrained in what we think is the right thing to do that we can't even just step back a few minutes and say, is there something greater at stake here? Yeah, what's at stake? The church, the unity of the church, Jesus. Intentional community. Intentional community. It involves a a shared obedience to the truth. It involves a shared relationship with one another. Recognizing the fact, a recognition that that we are all in need of God's grace. Don't we sing as a church how deep the Father's love for us? How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure? That's what unites us. You and I are miserable wretches apart from the grace, that shared grace that we experience from God. Notice in verse 44, notice what it says. They, all who were believed were together and they held all things in common. They, the Bible says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds as all as any had need. Sometimes this verse gets so misconstrued by people that want to live a minimalist lifestyle or say, man, I just got to give away everything or sell everything. Isn't that what the early church did? No, uh, the early church did it as they had need. Actually, the Bible said they still met in home. So someone was keeping a house for the church to meet him, okay? It's the whole point that as a need arised, the church was willing everybody to jump in and to help meet that need. Actually, I wish Megan Dix was here this morning. Is Megan here? I was gonna bring her into the message this morning. I was gonna say, Megan, isn't that the whole point of what we're doing Saturday, right? I mean, the church selling their stuff <laughs> for somebody that has need. So just point of application, what are you gonna sell on Saturday? You got something to give? Intentional, a couch, that'd be great. We've been trying to sell that couch a long time, all right? Intentional community. Intentional community. It involves a shared life together. Can I challenge you that in the weeks and months ahead, don't settle for superficial relationships. Don't settle 
for superficial relationships. Develop an authentic, meaningful relationship. And I'm not even asking you to do that with everybody here. Do it with one. Do it with two. You might find you'll do it with your life group. Or hopefully with new families that God brings into this place. Some of you who are here this morning are just simply trying to live the Christian life on your own. And you're not living in community. And you miss out, man. You miss out on experiencing this common life together. Man, I'm out of time. I got two more points to go. I like that. No one else said anything, so here we go. Verse 40, that was your chance, and then you lost it. Verse 43, their shared worship of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 33, and awe came upon every soul. Why is the church in awe? I mean, why when the church gathers, these many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles and day by day attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. I mean, why is the church filled with this sense of awe? Do you know why? Because they know that God is present. God's present. And they experience God's presence in a powerful and meaningful way and it shaped their life. Everybody's in awe because they don't recognize. They say, man, how could that happen? And they say, oh, I know how it can happen. That was God. God's doing things in this place. How does a church go from 120 to 3,000? I mean, that's, God's in that place. Man, isn't that what we want more than anything else? Man, as a culture in this church, more than anything else, when someone comes to visit this place, you know what I want them to walk away with is saying, I encountered God there. I encountered God there. That's a group of people that, man, for them, worship's not fake. God's changed their life. And I've sensed it, and I can, I can see it. Aaron Minkoff, in writing for the Gospel Coalition, he states this so beautifully. Listen what he says. Community is the fruit of Christ-exalting worship. Community is not what we're to aim for. Christ is. When we find him, or rather when he finds us, community naturally follows. We don't set out with a desire to create a good community, an intentional community. We simply work to cultivate the unity and the community that's been given to us in Christ. He's already done it. But you and I need to grow and learn to live in light of it. Sunday morning should be an important part of your life. The Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. All right? Why? Why would the Bible command us to gather? Like, it's not an option. Command it. You know, and there was moments, and you can look back in churchery, we, we just came out of a season of COVID. No one did that right, did they? I mean, everybody thought they were doing the right thing, the best thing. And even as a pastor and a leadership team here, man, it wasn't like we were trying to do the wrong thing. But I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, And the church certainly and in different time periods and in generations and in different moments have had to change the way that they meet. All right? The point is not a commanded hour of the week. The point is, is your lifestyle. Is your desire to gather with the church when the church gathers? 
Or are you missing out on the vibrant community that God's already placed you in? Now listen, this aspect of community can't simply be developed by gathering in the gatherings that we offer here. I mean, I hope that as you go to a class or you're involved in a life group that, um, or come to church here, that, that you experience this growth in your Christian life, this vital growth. But somewhere along the way, man, the church missed the boat when we started thinking that the church was a place rather than a people. And that's how our church could go through COVID even in certain weeks of a series of suspending gatherings in person, knowing that we're gathering with one another, it may not just simply be at this place. Because the church is not a place. It is people. And it's people growing and developing in that community with one another. So can I ask you this morning, do you value that intentional community? Do you value a shared obedience to Christ? Do you value a shared common life together? Do you value a shared worship of Jesus? That we're a worshipful community? Because notice, when those three things are evident and in place in the life of a church, notice the last thing, there's a shared gospel growth. Notice verse 47. The Lord did what? What did the Lord do in verse 47? And the Lord, what? The Lord added. We don't add people to the church. We don't. God does. You know, I'm excited for in recent days, in the last six months, we've had like eight new families brought into this church. I didn't do that. You didn't do that. Do you know who did that? God does. God's the one that brings people in. Now, certainly you and I have a part to play in that. But I believe with all my heart, a church that's committed to this type of community will see gospel growth. As a pastor, I have no greater joy than watching and seeing our church grow, not just numerically, but spiritually, man. It's, that's the highest joy in the life of pastoral ministry. Uh, one, one good day in pastoral ministry can make up for eight weeks of bad days, you know? But it's, it's, it's the days where you see people really taking a step forward in their faith journey. That's what excites me. But you know what? God's the one that causes the growth. Paul says, I plant, Apollos watered. But who caused the growth? God did. So if you have a problem with a growing church, you know who you have a problem with? Yeah, your problem's with God. Some of us, I don't know if we would have handled it right living in the early church, watching our little church go from 120 to 3,000. I think some of us would probably get a little perturbed. But you know, your issue, that's with God. Look, I just tell you, we settle for so less. We settle for so less because we want to project what we want rather than valuing what God wants. Can I just tell you, one day we're going to look, if you're born again by the blood of Christ, one day you can look forward to the day where you're going to be with a multitude that cannot be numbered. But you know what? You'll be known, the Bible says, as we ought. See, that's the lie that we believe in terms of church growth. 
is that the larger the church grows, the less I'll be known. But if we've bought into that lie, it's because we've, well, we're simply believing something that's not false. God knows us. And ultimately, you should work to be known in this intentional community with one another. So can I challenge you? Here's the challenge this morning. I hope you value these things. I hope you value what we value here at Catawba, and that is a shared obedience to the Word of God. A shared relationships that are built on, on a genuine, loving trust and relationship. And then thirdly, we value worshiping Jesus Christ. And when, when we see that collectively, God grows His church. And you were brought into that and I was brought into that. And man, that's the thing that should humble every one of us is realizing that this awesome community, this awesome relationship, this awesome family, that God literally says to you, you're welcome. Come on in. Because none of us deserve that. Right? None of us deserve to be welcomed into God's family. But aren't you thankful He welcomed you? Are you thankful God welcomed you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that your word is true. Thank you, God, that you've welcomed us. Lord, keep us from being the type of place that wouldn't welcome other people. God, may we get so concerned about seeing how wretched and and unlovely we were that we recognize the great immense love of your love for us. And God, that compels us to love people. It compels us to show deference. It compels us to work through conflict in a way that says, I value you and you matter to God and you matter to me. And God, may we, may we press forward in this as a church family in the days ahead. Lord, I pray that your grace would pervade this place. It would pervade our lives and uh, God, it would shape and mark the way that we live. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' name this morning and all God's people said, Amen.